This is Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to episode number 91, where we are still hearing reports from uh, Olivia Marlo Giavetti from The Field in South By in Austin, Texas. We sent her out there and she came back with some of the most amazing short interviews that are just uh, have just been crushing my mind, actually. Olivia, what do we got going on today? Who are we listening to? Uh, we went to Westworld. I am kidding. We did not go to Westworld. <laughs> uh, South By basically is Westworld. Uh, today we have Sasha Samoshina. She is an immersive visualization producer for NASA. Oh man, that sounds crazy. Um, so as I was listening to this, I was like, wait a minute, before Elon Musk shot his car into space and put a camera on it that we all watched, it's really amazing that NASA had been broadcasting these types of pieces to basically re-engage the American public into our exploration into space. And is it true that that our guest interview today uh, is with someone who said, "Hey, let's let's strap a camera on that rover." That is that is Sasha's job, believe it or not. And one of the other really cool things about this is that everything that NASA produces is for the public, not only to consume but to use and to remix and to engage with in any way that inspires them. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Uh, the mission of NASA. I'm a huge geek. I've pretty much watched anything that has a spaceship in it. And the importance of this type of content is not just in sort of the scientific exploration, but also in the inspiration of the next generation that's growing up. And there's definitely a lull, not to go you know, too broad into this, but obviously there's a lull. After we landed on the moon, uh, it was very clear that we took maybe a step to the side or even backward when we stopped launching things into the 90s, which then has this ripple effect into the coming generation where, you know what, people aren't racing to become the the next, you know, astronaut so much as the next sort of dot-com millionaire. And I think NASA has been core in bringing the conversation and agenda back. And it's fascinating hearing her approach to that. But that's just my tangent. What, what were your takeaways out there? What I really liked about Sasha and also the panel that she spoke on, which had a lot to do with virtual reality and science, is the idea that it's not a binary being an artist or a scientist. Sasha is as much a visual artist as she is a complete nerd for all things space and data. And seeing how we can merge those two together, I think that, especially for me as someone who also kind of comes from that same island of misfit toys, hearing that we're in an age now where that's becoming more the norm makes me excited for what we can do by pairing even uh, broader areas like science or data and impact or empathy together and how we can make a better world with all of those tools. Yeah, I love it. Uh, the the use of storytelling. Think about your own sort of Mars rover opportunities. What could you put a camera on? What could you bring the story and narrative to your audience through? All right, let's jump into this interview. People are tired of listening to us, I guess.
Okay, I am here with Sasha Simoshina from the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Uh, Sasha just gave an incredible panel with a host of other uh, people working at the intersection of art and science. Sasha, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So uh, talk to me a little bit about what specifically you do with NASA. So I should start from the beginning so that I can kind of make this storytelling. Uh, see what I did there? Oh, yeah. So I started at JPL working in the communications department and I worked in the social media realm. So I was a social media specialist at first. One thing that NASA as an agency does is we have a NASA charter that says we have to spread the most amount of information to the most amount of people, meaning anytime there's something discovered, some new data, some new XYZ, what have you, that we tell the public. So my job became trying to figure out how to do that in a creative way. Uh, my title then switched to multimedia specialist because I was creating content. And I was the first uh, for NASA and for NASA JPL to pioneer the 360 video. So when the API came out for YouTube and Facebook, I spent some time a lot of time trying to figure out before the actual editing software existed, how to take that, uh, the Mars panoramas that we had and put them into, into this new API. So I figured that out and it was a huge splash. And I kind of got obsessed with this idea of immersive filmmaking and what does that mean? And how do we do that? And then I was like, I work at this place where we have space, space is our content. And so I made about 10, I think, no, I made nine videos, 360 videos for JPL. One of them was just like, we have a thing called the Mars Yard. And I was like, I'm going to strap a camera to uh, one of our rovers while it's doing testing in the Mars Yard and just show the public that's something that we do. So just kind of sparking all of these different ideas. Um, after a while, I realized that I was really into kind of the back end programming side of what happens when you create these immersive experiences. So I started working in the ops lab at JPL. Uh, and the ops lab is kind of a startup-ish uh, feel of a place with developers and designers that are helping scientists and engineers do their jobs. And I, my, my title is immersive, immersive I can't even say it. My title is immersive visualization producer. And that means that I help produce the products that we have for the scientists and engineers. And we're doing all of that mainly in virtual reality, augmented reality, and mixed reality. So creating tools for scientists to help them do their jobs um, in a more streamlined way. And you're working with both scientists while also uh, communicating all of that to the public. Many of us are not scientists. Right. I think I think the first job I had really helped with that. And now it, it, it really helps to circle back to be able to speak about these things in a way that you're not too, as they say, inside baseball. I think that in a lot of worlds or in a, in a lot of educational systems, in a lot of ways that we learn things, um, people explain things thinking that you understand. And it's not like I want to be explained everything in a tiny macro way. I don't always need to drill down. But when I use an acronym from NASA, I'm going to think that probably 99% of the regular public that's ingesting the information doesn't know what I'm talking about. So trying to be able to incorporate that public thinking into the work that we create and then taking the tools that we make for the scientists and engineers and then somehow making them go back into the public. So this very like... 360 circular, haha, see what I did there, um, kind of workflow where I'm constantly thinking of how what we do to help these people that work directly with spacecraft to help the especially younger generations um, understand 
um, STEM in general and have them be inspired to say, well, maybe when I grow up, I'll work in VR on on spacecraft and I don't have to be an engineer. I, I can be I can be an artist. I can be a writer. I can be, you know, anything I want to be. But if that's your passion, that's your passion. So that's kind of my understanding. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Inside Baseball because I think this is something that we talk about, especially a lot when it comes to content marketing uh, or communications is that cognitive bias of the curse of knowledge yes. that we have a way of understanding things and it's natural and it's human to assume that everyone else has that. Um, and I loved something you said on this panel is that the point isn't to craft a narrative, it's to make tools for the public to use and talk and care about and uh, inspire everyone else to care enough about the story. And it seems almost even like help shape that narrative. Right, I, I wanna mention, this is a perfect time to mention that all of the assets that we produce uh, as all the, all the centers of NASA, which there are several, and NASA as the, at NASA that we know on social media, all of the content that we produce is there for you to take and ingest and use in your own things. So all of the 360s I've made are able to be downloaded and used in your own projects. We want you to take these things and we want you to use them. One thing that I didn't talk about in one of my favorite kind of outreach projects is on the Juno mission. So Juno is at Jupiter right now. It's the closest spacecraft to ever fly around Jupiter. Um, and we have an outreach camera on there, meaning that the camera that we are using is being processed by citizen scientists. So not people on our lab, not people at NASA, regular individuals that are interested in data visualization. And I've seen so many interesting small communities form where it opens up this thing that might seem kind of complex, but encouraging people to use this. And, and the output is are these beautiful Jupiter images that are then being studied by scientists. So it's this really beautiful feedback loop that just makes my heart warm, where scientists and engineers working directly with the public through this Thing very far away from us on a spacecraft. Um, and I guess the in-between of those things is pure hard data, which is beautiful in its own right too. So, yeah. With data and visualization, uh, what are some of the criteria or maybe some of the things that you keep in the back of mind uh, when you are trying to tell a story with data? Well, that is a complex question. Um, I think that you know, I'm gonna, I'm kind of gonna re-say the thing that I said in the panel a little bit because I do believe that my job in in the beginnings of of how it is born of, of let's say data, let's use um, I'm gonna just say one of our experiences. I'm gonna use it as an example to make it make more sense and also use real things so people can check out stuff at home. Um, so we have an experience called Onsite, which is a virtual Mars walk taking data from Curiosity Mars rover and from orbiters around Mars and creating a 3D pipeline that creates a mesh of Mars. So planetary geologists use that to study formations on Mars, quite literally walking around on Mars and looking at rocks collaboratively with other people. Um, that's just data. That's data that we took and created this, this world um, of, of real Mars. So thinking about how to make that interesting to the public, we keep talk we kept talking about this and talking about this at panels like this at, at events and people are like, well, can we see it? And uh, if you didn't bring the demo that we have in the HoloLens device, basically you're not gonna be able to see it. Enter Access Mars. So we created this web VR experiment that with Google in collaboration with Google, 
that you can actually go onto accessmars.com and see the same terrain pipeline that the scientists use. And that already creates the narrative of like even directly connecting the thing I'm talking about to you. And where I want it to go from there is for the person experiencing that after after they hear me say it, after they visit the site and hear a wonderful tour of Mars by planetary scientist Katie Stack that works at JPL and, you know, explaining a lot of questions that you might not want to ask immediately to a person that works there, because I don't think there's a silly question, but sometimes I get, everyone gets shy about asking things. So then that person experiencing Access Mars, that is actually a tool that is used at JPL, then thinking, being inspired and then creating something else or maybe researching how web vr works or researching what is a terrain pipeline and how do you make one and what code are they using and on the hololens how are they working around certain things and and then just doing this research and the narrative is really up to the person ingesting i know on the panel i was on people are creating films and although i do that in my in my free time um I, I think that the, the general public are the storytellers in my current position, and I'm inspired by, by their work all the time. We see some beautiful things made by artists and by storytellers out there in the world, especially with the Cassini mission, for instance, that just ended its 20 years around Saturn last September. We had a whole campaign where artists just made things inspired by that story. So, you know, the spacecraft has to crash into the planet because it doesn't have enough gas to go forward. And when I say gas, I don't mean actual gas. (laughs) (laughs) But I like to say it like that to put it in terms that are understandable. Um, Again, curse of knowledge. Again, yeah, yeah. But maybe misinformation, too. People are like, she said gas, but it's okay. Uh, We don't mean real gas. No, we don't mean real gas. but yeah, so and, and the campaign was called hashtag Cassini Inspires. And sometimes I would just go in there and see what these people were creating. And it was beautiful dances, paintings, all of these things and, and crafting this story of, of, of this 20 year mission that most of these ideas, you're not going to come up with them when you're immersed in that information. I'm really good at like saying facts. And even though I'm an artist, sometimes I stick to that. But these people really, really impressed me. So so that, for me, is what is the narrative of, of the story of the things that we create at JPL. Mm. And it seems, too, you touched on um, what the data actually, not even what the data say, but what the data do. Mm-hmm. And sort of if the data is successful, it's when it's inspiring people to take action versus just saying, oh, that's really interesting data. Right. Right. It's like, what's the thing that's going to make someone stick around and be interested? Because Mm. I know space is space, but also if you're not following anything and you just see a picture of some sand and a rock and maybe don't read the copy and you don't realize that's Mars and you don't realize that's like a new drill hole that Curiosity made. That photo is not doing enough to describe it. I know it's amazing, you know, but that's for me. And so yeah, taking it a step further and trying to engage the audience and then having that person be inspired to be like, whoa, I can't believe I saw that. Maybe even telling that story to someone else. It's kind of this, I think that's how communities built in this beautiful way, so. Cool, uh, a couple of rapid fire questions. Okay. Uh, if you had a hot tub time machine, could go back in time and uh, change one thing uh, 
one experiment you've worked with or one campaign you've worked on, uh, what would it be? One thing that I've worked on is specifically touch what I did. Okay, this is a rapid fire. I'm supposed to do this quickly, aren't I? <laughs> uh, I would say that actually the first 360 I made, I feel like it could have been better done. Um, I was working with tools that weren't existing yet. And looking back on it, I, I just like, it was excruciatingly painful to edit that. And then afterwards I was like, oh, I could have done this, this and that differently. And it would have been less painful in terms of figuring things out but I live for figuring things out. So I think it would have just caused me to be less stressed. I was like having dreams about how to do it. You know, when you're just so engaged with a project and you know that it's gonna be kind of an important thing if you figure it out, you're like, I can't stop thinking. Like I had a dream about like me figuring it out and then I woke up and I was like, wait, how did I do it? And it was probably all nonsense, but there was like some algorithm that I couldn't remember. Um, but yeah, I would say maybe going back and, letting myself not be so stressed out about it and thinking a little more quietly about each step. So still experimenting, just not dreaming about 360. <laughs> yeah. Although that's, <laughs> now that I say it, it sounds cool. <laughs> uh, if you had a Harry Potter wand and could change one thing about the, uh, the current state of the industry as you work in it, what would it be? I would say that I would like people to not have this perception of putting people in boxes of art, science, engineering, you know, steam as, as, uh, as it were, I would say that, you know, people see my personality, people hear me talk and they're like, we can't believe you work at NASA. And, and that's always, I get very interested because I love talking to people and understanding why, but uh, for other people, it's, it's upsetting, you know? And I mean, I, I would say the field is very diversified, much more than it was even 10 years ago. But just because you're a scientist doesn't mean you can't be an artist. And just because you're an artist doesn't mean you can't be a scientist. So kind of maybe getting rid of those of those boxes in general would be a beautiful thing. Maybe it would be chaos and then the whole world would be different in a way that's bad. But my hypothesis is that it would actually be maybe easier for a lot of people. Well, we can we can A-B test that. <laughs> Uh, finally, this uh, was unexpected at South by, but uh, uh, early this morning in UK time, they announced that Stephen Hawking passed away right before your panel. Uh, and the timing is one that I think Stephen Hawking would appreciate. With that in mind, uh, what is one of your favorite Stephen Hawking uh, anecdotes or quotes that you'd like oh, to share? I have a quote, actually, and um, I wrote it down this morning. I was very sad about hearing about this, obviously. I think when great minds go, there's the earth feels different for a second. Like, mm. I did feel very, it was beautiful, but it was also so sad. Um, so this is a really short one, and it just shows, I think, what his personality is was and 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 it doesn't necessarily it this doesn't necessarily this quote doesn't have to do with science directly or the cosmos but he said life would be tragic if it weren't funny and i think that's such a happy sad face way to think about things but i think a lot of it's talking about the struggle i think it's talking about the struggle of history of science of, of just people in general but taking moments to be able to stop and smile at something and remember, I think for me, that quote, he's he's thinking about higher things, right? We're all on this earth together. When we look at earth from a picture, the first pictures that were ever taken of earth from, from outer space. And for me, especially the Voyager, the Voyager photo of the pale blue dot, 
is so powerful because we look so tiny and, and, and that's funny. <laughs> and we, we take ourselves so seriously and so locked into this one perspective that we forget to think about that sometimes. And with that quote, I think Stephen Hawking was kind of, I mean, I don't know if he meant to do that, but that's what I thought about when, when I heard about his passing. So mm. it made me, it made me laugh, you know, and kind of took the sadness away for, for a second. So that was pretty nice. That's yeah, what we're, what we're on this earth to do, right? Yes. That and eat tacos because we are in Austin. So many tacos, so many tacos. So many tacos. <laughs> Sasha, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. Resources, as always, may be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us.